Verse 36, we have our Lord's explanation of this parable. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And His disciples came unto Him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. And the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth His angels, and they shall gather out of His kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth, as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. We thank God this morning for the reading of the Word of God. It is hard to have a conversation today without sensing the frustration that sin, evil, and unbelievers are doing in the world. The murderous events of the past several weeks in schools and hospitals reveal the sinful heart and wickedness of the world. The entertainment world seems to take joy in finding new ways to create lewdness and filth with which to assault righteousness and truth. It is unbelievers who pass ungodly laws and promote lifestyles and choices that mock the very creative beauty of Almighty God, both in humanity and in nature. But while all of that is shocking to us who live and see it every day, even more shocking than that is the fact that the same root of evil with which those things are being done is the same sin within all of us. Were it not for the grace of God in saving us, then you and I would be a part of that world wickedness. Even what you and I perceive among ourselves to be acts of goodness, and at times even acts of righteousness, our Lord said, if you put all of that together in the sight of God, it is filthy rags. That is sin. The fact that you and I are even tempted by some of this stuff, and even worse, the fact that we sometimes yield to it, is also frightening. Have you ever asked yourself, maybe talking to yourself, but you said, Lord, why do you allow all of this wickedness and all of this evil and all of this sin? Why do you allow 
all of that to flourish and all of that to seemingly grow. Or maybe you would be a little more reserved and say, Lord, what is your purpose in all of this? If you have, rest assured that you are not the first one to ask about the presence of wickedness and righteousness in the same world, the presence of evil and the presence of sin, the presence of both the wheat, the good fruit in the field, and also the presence of tares or the presence of weeds in the field. You are not the first to deal with that, nor are you and I will we be the last. Speaking of Lot, it says in 2 Peter 2, verse 8 and 9, For that righteous man, Lot was a righteous man according to the Word of God, for that righteous man, it said, dwelling among them, speaking about his dwelling or being among the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, of course, Lot made some bad choices that put him in that position, but that wickedness was there nonetheless. It says, For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed or literally tormented his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The presence of both evil and wickedness was in the world. Along with that man, with Abraham and his descendants, it was still there. But then we have an encouraging word in verse 9 of 2 Peter 2, where it says, "...the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations, and to reserve the unjust under the day of judgment to be punished." Ever since the entrance of sin in the Garden of Eden to this present day, there have always been wheat and tares mixed together, as we will see in this second parable of Matthew 13. God said to Satan in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. God said because of sin, there will be a difference. There will be a difference in those that belong to me and those that belong to Satan. There are men and women in this world. There are men and women in this church building today. There are men and women in our communities, there are men and women in our families today who are both children of God, and then there are those who are children of the devil. And the difference is regeneration. The difference is being born from above. The difference is the saving grace of God. There's not three different classes or four or five. All of us are either children of the devil or else we are children of God. Preacher, how do you know that? Jesus identified the children of the devil in John 8, when He looked at those who rejected His message and teaching and said to them, Ye are of your father, the devil. He also identified the children of God in Luke 12, 32, when He said, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Every one of us today have a father. It is, e it is either the father, the devil, or either our heavenly father, the Lord Jesus Christ. We come to this parable in Matthew 13, 24. The parable that is probably mentioned there, if you have headings in your Bible, it is called the parable of the wheat and the tares. 
Remember that Matthew 13 records a series of parables and the purpose of these from our Lord was to teach truth about the kingdom of God or as Matthew called it, the kingdom of heaven. The disciples probably misunderstood about the kingdom. They had their own ideas and opinions about how the kingdom would unfold. They knew about the kingdom from the Old Testament and in their thinking, whenever John Baptist came preaching and then Jesus continued to preach the kingdom of heaven, they're probably thinking that this is going to develop suddenly and all of a sudden we're going to all be in the kingdom of heaven. Men are going to receive the preaching of the word of God and they're going to believe. We just learned in the previous parable that is not always the case. So our Lord used these parables to teach them about the kingdom of heaven. He would say the kingdom of heaven is like this or like unto this. This is the way that it's going to unfold. Yes, the kingdom is fully coming someday, but it's not going to unfold the way that maybe you perceive it or the way you think it. The parable of the sower that we studied a few weeks ago clearly teaches that the sowing of the seed of God's Word is not going to result in universal salvation. It's not going to result in everybody believing because the different souls, the different hearts of men, many will reject that Word and never receive the message. But in this second parable this morning, the parable of the wheat and tares, we're looking at here Jesus is going to communicate to them and to us that the kingdom of heaven is going to grow in a world mixed with believers and a world mixed with unbelievers. And we are living in that very world. Adam and Eve, after the fall, lived in that type of world. Abraham lived in that type of the world. So did the prophets and the disciples and the apostles. And you and I live in that type of a world where there is a mixture of unbelievers and believers. It is also clear from this parable that we're looking at this morning that the calling and mission of the church and Christians is not to remove evil and sin out of the world. That's not our calling. One day, the knowledge of the Lord is going to cover the earth as the waters are going to cover the sea. One day there will be glory. And one day, the choir was singing about it, thank God the presence of sin will be gone. But that is not today. That's not this very hour. We are living in a world that has in it both wheat and tares. It has in it both believers and unbelievers. And Christ never called the church to make that any different. He called us to preach the gospel. He called us to declare truth unto that unbelieving world that through regeneration and salvation they could be called out of that world and become children of God. Jesus said in verse 24, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto... And then He gives this parable of a man in a field where good seed is sown, but then during the night, someone comes in, the enemy, and oversows that good seed with corrupt seed. Look with me, first of all, in verse 24 through 30, at the comparison of the wheat and tares, and then we'll look at our Lord's explanation of it in verse 36 through verse number 40, or verse number, number 40, and then 41 through 43, we'll look at the separation that is coming in the days ahead. Now, Christians must be careful about what we believe about the kingdom of heaven and how we think it's going to unfold. 
In this parable, Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven in verse 24 to a field. A field that has been sown with good seed, with wheat. But then the enemy comes in and he says it's been oversown, or in the darkness of night, the enemy comes in and, and sows what will eventually be tares. It's a very interesting story. The servants of the landlord planted that field, but the enemy came in and introduced in that field a very poisonous weed. And whenever they begin to grow, you cannot tell the difference. Tares are poisonous weed. I don't know a lot about them except what I read about these tares, but all that I read about them say that as they're growing in early maturity, you can't tell the difference. You can't tell the difference. I was sent out one time to hoe my uncle's row of corn, and uh, I had trouble telling the difference in corn and Johnson grass. But after my uncle got home, I know the difference now between Johnson grass and corn. I can tell you the difference of it. Uh, You eat one and the other you chop down. Maybe you can figure it out. But a lot of it looks alike when it's all bunched up together. This was even more so with the tares. It was against Roman law in the days of Jesus for a man to go into his neighbor's field and sow poisonous weeds like this. For whatever reason he did it, he would do it to spite or to get back or to cause the farmer to lose the crop. If you'll notice in the text, when the servants of this landlord found out what, they, what had happened in verse 27, they come to the householder, the master of the house, and they ask him three questions. They're right there in the text. They said, verse 27, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? Well, obviously the answer is yes. The second question, From whence then hath it tares? And then in verse 28, he Uh, He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. He answered their question. Yes, I sowed good seed, but the enemy is the one that done this. And then a third question, they said, uh, basically, I'm paraphrasing, do you want us to go root it out? Do you want us to go in there and pull out the tares and pull out the weeds? To which he responded in verse 29, No, let it alone. Let it grow up together. He said, If you go in and try to separate that now, you may pull up good wheat in the process. So they asked three questions and they got their answer. And our Lord's answer will be, as we see His explanation in a moment, the same answer. The landowner said, no, do not go in. Verse 30, let both grow together until the harvest. That is the comparison. That is this declaration of this second parable. There was a landowner who sowed wheat, and while he slept, the enemy came in and oversowed that with tares, with wheat, with a, a false wheat, with a poisonous weed. And whenever the servants found out about it, they asked permission to root it up, and the landowner says, no, leave it alone. And the reason is, if you go in now, you're going to disrupt everything. And let it grow together, because there's coming a harvest day, there's coming a time, Whenever the genuine wheat will be bundled up and taken to the barn in productivity, and that which is not right will be burned in the fire. Look at the explanation now that we have, and I want to thank God for this explanation. Whenever you're reading these parables, after you read the parable of the sower, 
the first parable, you almost have that on your mind when you come to this parable and you try to interpret things in the same light. It is totally different. Look at how our Lord explained the parable. The Bible says, but before I get to that, notice, notice what it says in verse 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And His disciples came unto Him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the, of the field. And that's both interesting and encouraging because the disciples here in their infancy of faith, in their early days of following Jesus, they didn't understand why any landowner, why in this story you are leaving a corrupt weed in the middle of a productive product. They, they didn't understand that. You can rewind your mind back to my introduction. That is exactly where we sit a lot, isn't it? We look at the world and we wonder why. We wonder why is this allowed to happen? Why? Uh, why doesn't God step in here or either let us do something? Let us uproot this mess. Let us take up arms as the church and, and let us take care of all of this. If you go back and study Christian history, every time the church had that militant attitude, if you go back and look at history, it resulted in nothing but a bloodbath. We are not here to pull weeds. We are here to sow the gospel. We are here to tell an unbelieving world about new life that is in Jesus Christ, and that is our mission, and that's why Christ has left us here. This is interesting and encouraging. A very important principle here. In the heart of these disciples is a desire to know. Church, it's all right to take your Bible and get along with Jesus and say, I know what I'm reading, but I don't understand this. I know what I'm reading, but in the back of my mind, now on the front of my mind, I want to know why. Lord, I know what I'm reading, but I can't see you being glorified in this. This is encouraging to me because his disciples, when they got along with him in the house, they came to him and said, Could you tell us, could you declare unto us the parable? Notice they didn't mention in verse 36 the wheat. They said, Could you tell us the parable of the tares? They don't have any problem with good fruit growing. Their problem is, why is this other permitted to happen? We ask that, don't we? Why is these things like they are? Why do they take place? I may be wrong. I have been before. I will be again. I hope I'm not now. But it is my observation that one of the obvious things missing this morning among professing Christians is a desire to take a copy of God's Word and understand it better on any level. Here are these disciples who've just heard Jesus speak, and they say, I want to know more about this. I want to understand this. Oh, may God raise up a generation of people today who will take up this Bible, get along with Christ, and say, Here I am, teach me, Lord. I understand a little of what's being said here, but I'm lost in the pages. I'm lost here in the words. Help me to understand a little more about this. The psalmist did that often, and the disciples did that, and we need to do that instead of listening to the world, trying to explain what's right and wrong, in listening to pagans and unbelieving politicians and preachers, trying to correct the church of the living God. We have the Word of God, the resident teacher of the Holy Spirit living within, take your copy of God's Word, take your opportunity in prayer, and say, Lord, could you explain this to me a little better? It's encouraging. We have a source. We have a resource. We can go to God, and He will help us. So many professing Christians today 
don't even have a superficial interest in understanding the Word of God. They don't, they don't have any idea about that. They would rather have a good service or feel something emotionally. I'm an emotional being. I feel things emotionally. But the only reason I ever have the right to raise my hands in praise to God is if those hands are stained from the pages of God's Word and I understand what I'm raising my hands about. It comes from truth. These men want to know. And they're alone with Jesus. Thank God that's a good place to find out something when you're alone with Jesus. Declare unto us, they say, the parable of the tares. I love this about the disciples. They get a bad rap a lot, but I love this about the disciples. And I want to say to each of us, there's a principle here. You and I should never read a text, study a Sunday school lesson. None of us should ever read a portion of God's Word without asking, Lord, what are you saying? Not what you're saying to me. That, that's, don't ask that, Lord, what are you saying to me? Ask Him what He's saying, period. And what He says is to us, Lord, what are you saying here? It's not about what I say about anything this morning. It is about what God is saying, and He is saying this. I heard a message this past week. A man got up and opened the Bible, read Romans 8.28, a jewel of a verse. We, for we know that all things work together. A jewel. I, I know some of you personally, that's one of, your, that's one of your life verses. He said, I want to read Romans 8.28. He said, I'm going to uh, not really deal with the text, but I'm going to read this as my text. The only thing about what he said was he wasn't a liar. He never dealt with the text. Never come back. Never mentioned Romans 8, 28 again. I'm sitting there saying, why? I'm thinking, why? He told me everything was wrong in this country about politics. He told me everything wrong about everything in the world. And I'm still sitting there thinking, why? I'm thinking when you have a passage, any passage, but when you have a passage like that, why do I need to go outside of that to find something to say? Jesus, I thank Jesus for these men. They came to Him Listen, go to Him. Take the Word of God to Him. Ask Him instead of arguing about it, instead of trying to find out what the rest of the world thinks about it. Go to Him with an open Bible and say, Lord, help me to understand this. And our Lord did. He gave them this explanation. They were still having difficulty in understanding parables. And I want to go on record this morning again and say that after 57 years of being a Christian, 49 years of preaching and 46 years of pastoring and shepherding God's people, I want to say I still have more questions and problems than I do answers. I never open a text to preach from one week to the other that I don't have questions. I come to this pulpit this morning with this message as best prepared as I know how to bring it, but I tell you, I'll leave with questions. I don't have all the answers, but I'm glad I have a Savior who allows me to come to Him and say to Him, Lord, teach me your truth. Show me your truth and help me understand. So here's our Lord's explanation. You can follow with me. Let me just give it to you very quickly. Number 1, verse 37, the sower of the good seed. We know who that is. That's the Son of Man. He calls Himself that in verse 41. That's His favorite title for Himself in all the Word of God. It represents humanity. He's the one sowing the seed. The good seed, in verse number 38, is not the Word of God like we had last time. But the good seed, he says in verse 38, he said, is the children of the kingdom. That's what he says, isn't it? The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. 
I read an author this week who said that's not who the children are. And I read my Bible and said the good seed of the children of the kingdom. So I said to myself, to that, to that author, author, I said, you missed it because Jesus just said that's what it is, right? It is the children of the kingdom. Men don't accept that because it don't fit in their paradigm. It don't fit in their way they got things laid out. What is the world? Verse 38. He said in verse 38, the field represents the world. In verse 38, the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy, verse 39, is the one that sowed the tares. That's the devil. And the harvest, in verse 39, that's the end of the age. It's time for the fruit to be brought in. And then the ones who will reap that and do that for our Lord is in verse 39, they are the angels. There's the explanation of the parable. Our Lord declared the parable. He gave the parable, verse 24 through 30, and He explained the parable, verse 36 down through verse number 40. He tells us exactly what each of these things represent. Let me say a couple things about it. First of all, if there is any good seed, if there is believers, if there are believers of the gospel in this world, it is Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, who alone has the power, authority, love, and grace, and purpose to save us out of this world and make us, thank God, the good seed of believers. All of us started out as tares. But if we're saved today, He's placed us in an evil world as His children, the good seed. Second, the field. The field is not the church. Many men preach it that way. I've I've got books at home by authors that I respect who preach it that way. But the only problem I have is verse 38 says, The field is the world. Meaning there will be in this world... In this world, there will always be the presence of unbelievers and believers. There are no unbelievers in the church. Now, there are unbelievers who are on the church roll. There are unbelievers who attend church. There are unbelievers who are active inside church activities. But no one is actually in the church or in Christ unless you are a believer, unless you are saved by God's grace. I know what people are thinking about people who are pretending to be something that they are not. These tares were not pretending. They were what they were from the very root. You just couldn't tell the difference on the surface. Well, preacher, you can't tell who's saved and not saved. I understand that, but that's not what this parable is about. This parable is about believers and unbelievers being in this world while the kingdom of heaven is growing, while the kingdom of heaven is progressing, and at times it looks like the weeds are doing more than the wheat. But understand this, the Lord of the harvest has control over all of that, not you and not me. The field is not the church. It is, as Jesus said, it's the world. He's telling His disciples the kingdom of heaven as it's unfolding will continue in a world mixed with believers and unbelievers. It'll continue in a world that is increasingly sinful and evil and selfish and prideful and ungodly and and blasphemous. It's continuing. I love what Dr. J. Vernon McGee said about this parable. Someone come up to him and said, Dr. McGee, do you believe the world is getting better through the preaching of the gospel? He said, absolutely. Someone else came up to him and said, Dr. McGee, do you believe as we preach the gospel, the world is getting increasingly sinful? Dr. McGee said, absolutely. And a third guy came up to him and said, I heard both answers. said, you don't know what you're talking about, do you? And he said, I know exactly what I'm talking about. 
He said, as we preach the gospel, the kingdom of heaven is growing. He said, as we preach the, preach the gospel in, of the kingdom in this world, sin is increasing. He said, that's not up to you and I. We're not here to figure out the percentages. We are here to do what Christ has called us to do. As believers, if we're not careful, it looks like, it looks like that the weeds have totally overtaken the wheat. That's why if you and I go in there and try to pull all that stuff out, we'll mess up everything that God's doing. God said, leave it alone. Let me take care of that. That's not my job. That's not your job. That's the job of the Lord of the harvest. Third thing, Satan's responsible for the tares being sown. He's constantly sowing people in our world who do not believe God. People who hate the gospel, who hate righteousness, who hate Christianity, oppose Christianity, and Christians. He is the enemy of the kingdom of God. He infiltrates the world and evil and attempts to influence you and me away from holiness and purity. He does that. That's how Jesus identifies the one who sowed the tares. It's Satan. And fourthly, most important, it is the Lord's intentional plan in verse 28 through 30. It is our Lord's intentional plan to let tares and wheat grow together until harvest. He's going to let that happen until harvest. Again, we're not talking about the church. The church has a commandment of God to discipline and to remove things within the church that is unholy, unpure, and unsaved. But in the world, it will grow together until God is finished with it. That's what he's saying about the kingdom of God. Why? Well, he says in verse 29, lest while you gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. Now, maybe you've done got all the tares figured out. You know exactly who the tares are out here in the world, and if we could get rid of this man and that woman and this woman and that man, if we could get rid of that group and we could get rid of that group, then we'd have a great country, we'd have a great nation, and everything would be well and the wheat could grow and flourish. That may be a good plan as far as you're concerned, but you and I are not the Lord of the harvest. You and I did not create the wheat. You and I did not make the world like it is. I would say to you today as your pastor, obey the Word of God, let the tares alone, and trust the Lord of harvest to take care of it at the end of the age. It's God's plan that this mixed condition of believers and unbelievers in the field or world continue, verse 39, till the end of the world. That's a powerful truth here. We're to be salt and light? Absolutely. We're to promote righteousness and holiness? Absolutely. We believe God has instituted human government to be such that we should be able to lead a quiet, peaceable, and godly life as we are commanded to pray for. However, and I want to remind you Christians in general, but as a Baptist, I want to say this very plainly, Baptists in particular have always believed in the separation of church and state, which means that we do not use legislation and the arm of government to weed out the world. We're not here to do that. That's what separation of church and state is. We do not use the world to weed out sin. What takes care of sin? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Regeneration. Salvation. You say, I don't get that. Well, what took care of sin in your life? Jesus, right? Sitting in here today, along with me, are, are sinners who had it not been for the grace of God, we'd be smoking what they're smoking, drinking what they're drinking, going where they're going, believing what they're believing and doing what they were doing. What changed that for you? Legislation? No. Regeneration is what changes that in a man's heart. The church is not in the business of weeding out the world. You remember James and John, sons of thunder? 
They got all bent out of shape because that Samaritan village they was at didn't appreciate what they were doing. Remember they come to Jesus, Luke 9, 55. He said ye, they come to Jesus and they, they were ready. They, were, they would have been good Baptists. They come to Jesus and said uh, they didn't hear what we preach. Let's burn the whole outfit. Let us pray fire down out of heaven. Let's consume that whole outfit. Have you never sat around and said to yourself, I'd like to bolt a lightning to hit and then name the people or the place. And you, I'd like, oh, just like James and John, listen to what our Lord said. Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Jesus said, that's not why we're here. We're not here to call down thunder and lightning. We are here to preach the gospel. We are here to tell Christ that we were once tares. We were once evil. And God saved us and placed us and took us out of being children of the devil and has now made us children of God. That's why we're here. If you're praying this morning, Lord, get rid of all this evil. Root out all the wickedness and make America a great place to live. God's not going to answer that prayer. If you're praying, Lord, save every evil person. Lord, save every wicked man, woman, boy, and girl. And make our nation a place where godly people can continue to spread the gospel and preach till you come. God's going to answer that prayer. It's all about Him. His intention is for believers to live among the persecution, the suffering, the evil, his intention is for you and me to grow to full maturity and spread the gospel. And as we grow, and as the wickedness grows, guess what? How did these men know there were tares in that wheat? As they both grow to maturity, it's obvious. It's obvious. And I've said this to you before. You can take those terms, backsliding, backslidden, carnal, whatever you want to take, lay those terms over to the side. When it comes to save people, it's either wheat or tares. Believers are unbelievers. And as we go further in this age, you're going to see the difference. It's standing out. It's very apparent. But still, we are to leave it until Jesus deals with it. So what did he tell them? Don't pull weeds. I know, I know ministries, Christian ministries today, who are totally dedicated to pulling weeds. Totally dedicated to to the church being an arm of the government to make things right. That may be a noble gesture, but it's not a biblical gesture. We do not have the authority to do that. We do not have the commandment of God to do that. Our commandment is to go into all the world and preach the gospel, teaching men, admonishing men to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If I go into the world, if I, if I start pulling weeds today, there's going to be a lot of vacant seats in Washington in the morning. A lot of vacant seats. As a matter of fact, if I pull weeds, there wouldn't be nobody left but the security guard and the clerk. Right? If you want to pull weeds in Raleigh, if you want to pull weeds locally, a lot of vacant seats in the morning. But if you and I go try to pull weeds, we don't know who we're pulling, do we? Let me ask you this. Had you been a Christian in the early days of the church, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, after our Lord's ascension and under persecution of the Roman church, had you been living in that day, 
trying to be what God would have you to be and preach the gospel, and you heard about an old nasty weed, an old tear by the name of Saul of Tarsus, would you have pulled that booger out of the ground? Would you have weeded him out? You better believe you'd have weeded him. The early church was scared to death of him. As a matter of fact, after God told him he had saved and go meet him, they was kind of hesitant about that. You'd have pulled Saul of Tarsus out in a hurry. You'd have pulled that weed out and burn it. Look what God did with that thing. God saved him. And most of our Bible was written by him. We're not in the weed pulling business. What do you think the world would do today with a man? And this will probably come in the near future. You will probably see churches eventually in our country quit singing Amazing Grace because John Newton was a slave owner. You will probably see that in the future. He was. There's no, there's no doubt about it. He was a lost sinner. And brought slaves over here, shipped them over here, captain of the ship. What'd God do with that weed? What'd God do with that terror? If you had pulled that out, look at what you'd have messed up. God takes care of the harvest, both of the wheat and the tares. That's what he's saying in this parable. Preacher, I'm, I'm a weed puller. Well, then you're going to live in disobedience to God when it comes to unbelievers and believers being in this world. Now, if you struggle with the other comments, this one's really going to throw you. On the other side of that coin, there are men and women today who look like wheat on the outside, but they are tares. They are conservative. They live moral. They believe the Bible ought to be taught in school and children ought to be able to pray in school. They are pro-life. They reject gay marriage. They oppose transgenderism and all the stuff that goes with that. They are model citizens. They are true red, white, and blue Americans. But when it comes time for the harvest, you will find them bundled up and cast into the fire because they were unbelievers. Now you be careful the people you hook up with just because they believe certain issues like you believe. I know many unbelievers today who believe everything just like I do until it comes to the gospel. They are pro-America. They are pro-life. They, they are, they're against all of this homosexuality, all this stuff. They are standing right there with us. They'll wrap themselves in the flag with us. But I want you to know in this world, Jesus said they are unbelievers, and that's the difference. So many churches today have become conservative in their thinking, conservative in their preaching. They're conservative in a lot of issues. But when it comes to the message of the kingdom, they're unbelievers. This is serious stuff. I could name them if I wanted to. Some of our heroes, some of our radio talk heroes that we ride down the road every day and say, yes, yes, amen, these are unbelievers. These are people who do not know God. They profess that openly and publicly. Some of the brightest men. There's, there's, a, there's one bright man right now in this world of the Jewish, of the Jewish race. I, I have never heard anybody in my lifetime with a more brilliant mind about everything you talk to him about except when you sit down and talk to him about Jesus Christ. He's an unbeliever. And I've listened to men Talk to him about Christ. I don't know that he and I disagree on anything. 
till it comes to Christ. Jesus said, let the wheat and the tares grow together. He wants His servants to know in verse 27 that they do not have the ability to tell the difference. And our intentions may be logical and they may seem like the right thing to do at times. But Jesus said, leave them alone. Let them grow together. Does that mean I'm not to stand for righteousness? No. Does that mean I don't vote for righteousness? No, that's not what that means. That means I'm not here to weed that out. I'm here to preach the gospel. Leave the field to Him. Look with me in closing at verse 40 through 43 at the separation of the wheat and tares. Preacher, how much longer have we got to, have we got to live with this? Until the end? When's the end coming? You'll have to go to a radio or TV preacher to find that out. I can't tell you. The end's coming whenever Jesus says it's coming. He said in verse number 40, As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of, the, of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth His angels, and they shall gather out of His kingdom. Notice now it's His kingdom. They shall gather out of His kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. The separation is coming. It's not going to go on forever. What you and I are living in right now in the thick of it, it's not going to go on forever. Sodom burned. Sodom burned. The flood came. Judgment fell. And judgment will fall again. But I want to remind all of us, we are not Lord of the harvest. We are His servants. Our job is to tell the world about Jesus Christ. The Son of Man is coming in the harvest. The harvesters will be His angels. And at the end of the age, whenever that is, judgment day is coming. And the weeds are going to be uprooted. They're going to be bundled. And they're going to be cast into the fire. The Son of Man will sit over that process. He is Lord over the harvest now. He is the one who brings sinners to Himself. And He's the one that will cast sinners who do not come to Him into eternal torment and flame. That's what the Bible said. Christ will sit in judgment on all the earth, and the wicked, notice what the text said, the wicked will be gathered out of His kingdom. The wicked will be gathered out of His kingdom. That's where they will come. They will come out of His kingdom. He will give the command. His angels will come, and judgment will come. But I know you're thinking, well, how close are we to that? I don't know, but verse 40 does interest me in this regard. As therefore, he said, the tares are gathered. Now, he doesn't say whether, some say that's all at one time, and that could, that could happen. He could come and gather them all at one time. But when you gather up, now you're, if you're thinking about round balers and square balers, get that out of your mind now. The raking up of the wheat, and they would tie them up in, bund, you know how, in bundles and things. Well, the same way is going to be with the tares. This could be a process of time in which God is gathering. And I, and I honestly, it, it's my opinion, totally my opinion, but I think we are seeing some of the gathering of those tares because there's very little individuality in our world now. Everybody, have you noticed everybody's gathering in bundles? Have you noticed that? Nobody's, nobody's an island of themselves anymore. They want to be identified with a group. 
I want to be identified with transgenderism. I want to be identified with this. I want to be identified with that. Even conservative people, I want to be identified with this, and I want to be identified with that. It could be that we're seeing the early stages of the gathering of the tares already getting ready for that judgment. I don't know that, but it is interesting when you see that word gathered. At some point, they're going to be bundled up in different stacks and groups, and then all of that will be judged. Isn't it good to be in the church and be in Christ? I don't have to be identified with anything else. And I've noticed anybody who's ever attacked me personally or attacked the ministry I was a part of, the first thing they want to do, which is always a sign of Satan's activity, is they want to categorize you and put you in a group or a bundle. Well, that's coming at the end of the age. I know this about all of these groups, whether they're union, sect, They're all anti-God, they're all anti-Christ, and the only thing left for them is the fire. Embrace yourself because you're going to see most of who we consider Christians, the conservatives. You're going to see most of that group gathered and burned in the fire simply because they are not wheat. They were never regenerated by Christ. One day in the near future, Christ will sit as Lord of the harvest. And what this world seems to think of Jesus, the meek and lowly and mild Jesus, He will be the Savior who will swing His sickle of harvest over the earth. Will you turn with me? And I want to close with this. Will you turn with me to Revelation chapter 14? Revelation chapter 14 and verse number 14. Revelation 14, 14. And follow with me as I read. One day in the near future, Christ will sit as the Lord of the harvest, and the tares will be removed from the wheat. Listen to what John the Revelator tells us in Revelation chapter 14, verse 14 through 20. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar which had power over fire and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress, even unto the horse bridles by the space of three of three of of a thousand and six hundred furlongs he is the harvester of the age and the sickle of judgment will be applied back in verse 42 of our text tares are destined to a furnace of fire where there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth i want you to listen to dr john macarthur's comments on verse 42 of Matthew 13, and I quote, Hell will not be a place, as some jokingly envision, where the ungodly will continue 
to do their thing while the godly do their thing in heaven. Hell will have no friendships, no fellowship, no camaraderie, no comfort. It will not even have the debauched pleasures in which the ungodly love to, re to revel on earth. There will be no pleasure in hell of any kind or degree, only torment. And then he quotes Revelation 20.10, Day and night, forever and forever, end quote. Today, the world you and I live in is full of believers and unbelievers, wheat and tares. And sometimes we get so frustrated we want to weed this out. Again, this is not talking about keeping the church pure by discipline and biblical standard and holiness. That's not what this is talking about. It's talking about the world, the unconverted world. We do not go pull Saul of Tarshishes out. We do not weed them out. We leave that to the Lord of the harvest. Because He may want to change some of those tares. He has. He changed you. He changed me. And he, make, he can change others. And that's what we're praying for. And that's what we're witnessing for. So don't misunderstand this parable. Do not think that God somehow tolerates wickedness or evil. Do not think this parable is teaching that we allow sin to go undisciplined in the church. No. Do not think that we are to passively sit by in praying for and promoting righteousness. No. Thank God verse 43 of our text says there's coming a day that the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. But until that day, wheat and tares are to be left alone. Let me leave you with these thoughts. Number one. Do not get caught up in this fundamental idea that the church is here to straighten out the world. We are not. Jesus didn't come to straighten out the world. He came to what? Seek and save that which was lost. Number two, pray that God would protect us from this sin-cursed world. Pray that God would protect our children and our families and remember the story of Lot after it says that he tormented his soul every day with that ungodly crowd. Remember verse 9 that Peter said, he said, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation. God knows how to protect you from this wicked world, and God knows how to protect your children from this wicked world. Thirdly, keep sharing the gospel. That's what we've been called to do. Fourth, Make sure you know if you are a child of God or a child of the devil. Do not trust a date or a feeling. Look for the fruit as you are growing and living. Number five, and this, this should be encouraging. Understand God has you here at this time in history according to His purpose and plan. As frustrating as it is to live amongst all this filth, and sinful stupidity and ignorance and lewdness. I mean, our people are doing things that, just like Paul said they would, totally unnatural. But God knew you and I would be here. And hear me, there's grace to get us through this. Amen. And if you're saved, remember, you're going to shine one day as the sun in the presence of Almighty God. And number six, trust the sovereignty of God. And remember these words from Jude. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. 
to the only wise God our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Jude 24 and 25. Thank God for the wheat, and we must thank God for the tares, because it is God's plan for it to be like this. And if God planned it, I trust Him enough today to know that it'll all be well, and it'll all be right. Father, I want to thank You this morning for the privilege to preach Your Word. I want to thank You for what You have taught me in the past two weeks on this parable. Lord, had You not given the explanation, I don't know that I would have been able to have even preached what little I was able to preach about it. Thank You for the parable, and thank You for the explanation. Lord, I can't act for every member of West Sonora Baptist Church, but as their pastor this morning, symbolically, I want to place myself and all of us exactly where the disciples were. We're here in your house, and we're sitting under your feet. And we ask you today to take the truth of your word and explain it to us better and communicate to us Lord, about these things that we're all frustrated about and tired of and wondering when it'll ever end and how much worse it's going to get before it ends. Lord, I want to place all of us today, and I hope, Lord, that you will deal with each one of these listening this morning, that we all will place ourselves like the disciples in your presence with your open word and ask you just to teach us and to help us. I pray for the tares. I pray for the wicked. I pray for the weeds. I pray for their salvation. I pray for those, Lord, that we would like to destroy and root up and rid today. Lord, you told Peter way back there in the garden to put up his sword and help us to do that today. And, and Lord, to declare the truth. It's all that will help anything in this day. And I want to pray you'd protect me. And I want to pray you'd protect our families from the temptations and from the temptation to yield to the thinking and the philosophies and the opinions of this world. Be they liberal or conservative, Lord, keep us straight with the Word of God. Don't let us get lured into anything, Lord. Help us to stay the course. And I pray especially for our children, that You would protect them from what they're being raised in. The weeds, protect them. And Lord, help the parents to understand that keeping them around the wheat and keeping them in the Word is some of the greatest protection that they can have. And Lord, I just thank You that You are the Lord of harvest, and one day soon You'll come and place Your sickle of judgment upon this earth. And I thank You for the promise that one day we'll shine as the sun when we stand before You. Now all of this is to Your glory. I still don't understand how You're getting glorified out of all this stuff. I know that you are of purer eyes than to behold evil. Habakkuk told me that in the Word. I know that, Lord. But I know that you have a purpose, and when it's all done, both saint and sinner in both heaven and hell will bow and confess you as Lord and Savior and glorify you forever. But help us in the midst of this mixed world to live like believers, shine as lights, be as salt, and may we be able to share truth with those who need it. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for redeeming us. Help us now to go out and live in faith according to your word. And we'll thank you and praise you for all you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.